Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. So this is a golden era we're in for entrepreneurs. And I want to talk about why this is really a time that if you've thought about it, you can consider making the leap to having your own business. And later, cars are tracking us. Some people think, that's great. Others, not so much. What should you be aware of with this? So, I am a born entrepreneur. And it's part of our family culture. I think about how Both my brothers, my sister and I, all entrepreneurs. Then I think about my cousins. How many of my cousins are entrepreneurs? And I don't know exactly why in our family culture it turned out that way. But one relative said it's because none of us like to ever be told what to do. (laughs) That was not a compliment. But... (laughs) There is a wonderful thing about being your own boss, about being an entrepreneur. And it's not necessarily about money. Not everything in life is about money. But on the money side, it is possible that being an entrepreneur gives you upside potential like you have not been able to have in your life. You have control you wouldn't have had in your life. It also means that every day you're not at work, you're not making money. There is no vacation fairy having money fall out of the sky when you're an entrepreneur. I heard an entrepreneur the other day say that she had worked every single day for four years had not taken a day off worked sick no vacations nothing just worked and you may have heard me tell the story about when i started my first business when i was 25 that i was working so much and i was so into it that i would wake up with anxiety at like four or five in the morning, couldn't go back to sleep, worried about meeting payroll or whatever it was. And I would get to where I wouldn't remember what time of year it was and would not remember what clothes I needed to put on. I mean, you can really get that absorbed into it. And obviously that's not good work-life balance. No doubt. 
I mean, being an entrepreneur is a different thing. It is a commitment. It is risk. But what's amazing is you'll hear naysayers talk about the fail rate of people starting their own business. And it's true. A lot of people who start their own business, it doesn't work. And they end up losing money in it. And who knows what else. And they lose or sell the business. It's true. But most of the time, people make it. And you build something. And you're providing a product or service that people want. Today, though, it's not an either or. Because I think about how many people I've heard from over the last 15 years as technology made this possible that someone could dip their toe in and they could keep their regular job and then on the side they start a little side business and now we're so familiar with buying things online okay so i'm in an uber the other day and my uber driver has a hair business she sells various hair things that I don't understand anything about women doing their hair, but she sells these, these hair products and hair extensions. Yep. You know what I'm talking about, Krista? I All right. do. All right. You would have, you would have really engaged in this conversation because I didn't really understand the whole product thing, but she was telling me how she's been doing the Uber thing and another thing on the side because what she's really wanted was to have her own business and she's using that to help her fund doing it. And she's been doing it as an online business and it's grown to the point now she was looking for uh, space to have a retail store. And she was ready to take that leap. I mean, that's a classic entrepreneur who she kind of got into it, made sure she still had income coming in, single woman, kids grown, having to support herself. And she's been able to get to the point where she's ready to go the next step with it. I mean, this is what it's about for an entrepreneur is you find what really interests you, where you feel you can serve a need in the marketplace and you go do it. And yes, it is possible you won't succeed. But more often than not, if you have identified a good need in the marketplace and you manage that business, you will make it and then you are your own boss, running your own business, filling a need in society, and I love that. You know, Sarah Blakely, who founded Spanx, says, and I think this is so smart, don't talk about the product you're selling, talk about the problem you're solving when you start a business. That's that's really good advice. And let me say something about, uh, a lot of guys don't know that name, women know that name. She started a whole category of clothing called shapewear, which is like where uh, you could look better in clothing. I think I think most guys you know think guys who know she what? is and know what yeah know oh, what really? she did. Yes, for sure. Well, well, she was a copier salesman, I think. Fax machines, fax machine was, yeah. copier, something like that. And she had this business idea, and she'd go in to talk to banks. And she'd go in and talk to would-be investors. Manufacturers. All these guys, and they were like, <laughs> they'd pat her yeah, on the they head. Didn't get it. And tell her that uh, she should keep selling her 
copiers or whatever. And she had that determination that she didn't care how many times she was told by clueless men that this was stupid. She believed in herself enough, and now she's a billionaire. She's now sold the company to some other big company. Yeah, she's still really involved, but yes, yeah, she... Oh, is she involved still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's... Her story is amazing. I think there's, you know, it, she was the first female billionaire on the cover of Forbes magazine, just lots of cool stuff. So she's very inspiring. So I'm not... Again, the number of people are going to end up billionaires from whatever they're doing where everybody told them no. Uh, it's not really about becoming a billionaire. It's about being independent, being able to provide a living for yourself, being able to not have to answer to some clueless manager or supervisor or whatever. You're running your own place, your own business. And most of us aren't going to end up billionaires like Sarah Blakely, but there is opportunity out there. I think about some of the people who broke through with the, um, what do you call the local fancy beers? Craft beers. Craft beers. Thank you. You see, I know so much about drinking. Anyway, that was like the thing for a while. And there are people who did that, who hit the market just right, who have ended up incredibly wealthy and with brand name beers that are now sold in supermarkets and beer and wine and liquor stores and all that. I mean, there's opportunities all over the place. And I want you to know that we're in an era that being an entrepreneur is so much easier than it used to be. The ability for you to hire people to do things that you need, like design or whatever, where you can hire people online and put your work out for bid, so much easier than it used to be. There's so many parts of starting a business that are simpler than they used to be. So get out there and do it. This question is from Pat in Delaware. I'm a barber at a small shop. What is the best credit card reader device for me to use for my clients that is economical and without any major contract concerns? Yeah, Pat, this is the terrible conundrum. There are these sales organizations that get you into these ugly, ugly contracts for credit card processing and charge you a ransom for the machines to process the cards. So I'm going to give you three ideas. One is if you're a Sam's or Costco member, look at their credit card, merchant credit card processing programs. They tend to provide uh, better discount rates than you're going to find otherwise. Second is that you look at the one from Square. Don't know the average price point of your charges and what charging volume you'll have per month but square hits a sweet spot for people who have lower total volume of credit card charges in a month it's very easy to use and uh, we hear complaints occasionally from merchants having customer service issues with square but not a lot and that would be a way to do and the third is kind of a blend of both of those for you as a business Accepting credit cards is really expensive. It becomes a huge drain on the profitability of your business. I'm a big fan. However you process cards, 
to also offer a cash discount to people who will pay you in cash. That offering a better deal to people who pay cash is a win for them and a win for you. If they still want to use plastic, you process it. But no matter where you go, no matter who you sign up with for merchant processing, do not ever, ever, not ever sign a contract on the processing equipment. Buy the equipment, if at all possible. And from Joe in Arizona, I'm currently renting for the first time in my life due to being outpriced in the real estate market. I've never rented before, so I'm adjusting to all that entails, including high costs. My daughter has never owned a home, but is now considering buying and being an investor. We were wondering if we could purchase a home together and I would be her permanent renter as it might be a win-win for both of us. Both of us would contribute to the down payment. Are there any drawbacks to this venture that we're not seeing or we should be aware of before proceeding? Like whose name will be on the deed, mine, hers, or both? So Joe, um, this is actually a much more common arrangement in families than you realize. And I like the way you're thinking because you've got a kid who wants to be an investor. You need a place to live. And doing this together, some kind of blend, is absolutely fine. Now, you paying part of the down payment, but at the same time having to pay rent, that's an unusual kind of arrangement in this case. But I want you and your daughter to keep thinking it through. Look at the numbers. What are you going to have to spend per month in mortgage taxes and insurance? And I, and when I say you, I mean collectively you, since you both would be involved. And is it something that ultimately you want her to own completely? In which case, maybe you do a loan to her of part of the down payment and she pays you back that and then it's completely hers you don't have inheritance issues later and you're paying her rent but what i would do is the two of you hash it out talk it through see if the numbers work and then go see a real estate attorney because he or she has done these kind of transactions over and over again. They know what works and what does not in terms of titling, ownership, and that sort of thing. This is the kind of thing people usually go to a lawyer after they've already done it and they're like, oops, this didn't work. You go to the lawyer before you proceed with it, but after the two of you have talked through the scenarios. This kind of thing works best in my experience, if there's two rentals on the property, one that you would be occupying initially, you're not saying your daughter would be in the property, you're saying she'd be an investor, and then a second one that would be just a UFO renter, that getting two streams of income out of it, one maybe a garage apartment, or one being an accessory dwelling unit, or one being a basement apartment, the other being the rest of the dwelling. That's when I find that the math of this works best for the long term for your daughter. And from Laquanda in Georgia, why is my income tax refund considered income on the following year when I'm only getting money back that I loaned slash overpaid the government? All right. What you're referring to is you live in a state that has state income tax. 
And so when you get a state income tax refund, because the prior year you would have taken a deduction for state income tax paid, then there's like a recapture of part of that deduction reported as income the prior year. And the main answer to that is move to a state that doesn't have a state (laughs) income tax. But failing that, that's why, because you caught the credit before, you have to pay back part of that credit later because you later did get a refund. And coming up straight ahead, a lot of talk, and it's going to be real action, about how AI, artificial intelligence, is going to be able to prevent accidents before they happen, reduce the severity of accidents when they do happen. But all this technology also can be tracking you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We've had a disaster in the United States over the last couple of years. And it's the number of people injured or killed in vehicle accidents has gone way, way up. Americans have had a lot of emotional difficulties from everything that went on with the pandemic. Um, I think people don't think enough about how disruptive COVID was in our lives in 20 and 21 and the psychological harms from it. The sudden vulnerability, the people we have known who've died or got really sick, the disruption in what happened in the workforce, what happened with kids not being in school or being in school, then not in school and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's, it's been a lot for human beings to process. And a lot of people have taken it out with aggressiveness on the road. And it's been just brutal, the run-up in the number of fatalities. And that's in spite of the fact that cars and road design have both gotten a lot safer over the years. Automatic emergency braking, um, lane departure warnings, um, the things that, that you start to veer out of your lane and the car automatically corrects for you. All the various safety features, including when you're not paying attention because you're looking at your phone when you should be, you should be looking at the road, and you're going to run in to stop traffic in front of you, And the car will sound an audible alert. And there are all these things. And in spite of them, 
we see them, these terrible, terrible accidents. And vehicles have gotten bigger over the years. And so the impact, particularly when you have a size mismatch, is really ugly. So there's a technology that exists that is actually being mandated across Europe that all new vehicles have the ability to track how the driver is driving in every vehicle real time and force the vehicle to slow down. If somebody's going way above the speed limit, it won't let you do it. And in some countries in Europe, they're able actually to know who it was who's driving recklessly or speeding and automatically send you a ticket. Okay. So I know this is terrible. I don't like it. I don't like that because yes, it's going to save a lot of lives in Europe. And if we did it here, it would save a lot of lives. It's too much government intrusion to me, too much an invasion of privacy. And it's up to you and me to start behaving ourselves more. You know, I've told you how much I can't stand red light cameras and speed cameras and all that. The only cameras I'm excited about on the roads are the school bus cameras. Yesterday, I was on the road when the school bus was letting off kids, and I saw not one, not two, but three cars where the drivers were too impatient with the, with the stop arm out and all the red lights flashing on the bus, and they just go zoom. Where did those three cars have to be that was so important that those children's lives did not matter? That is selfish. Don't do it. And I support having the cameras on the buses to issue tickets with huge fines and whatever else they do with points on your license and all that. We've got to be respectful and protective of young, vulnerable children. But this other stuff, using all this crazy spyware, essentially, uncool. And I know a lot of people are um, getting used to having your auto insurer spy on you in your car. And if you're willing to do that for lower rates, that's your choice. But having government do it, where they're automatically slowing down your car, oh man, not okay to me. And uh, by the way, I know that gets into a public policy area, and I apologize for that. I just think there are times that technology moves further along than us thinking through the implications where you fix one problem and you create another. All right, we'll go to some questions. This is from Dan in Ohio. My wife has 220,000 miles on her 2009 Honda CRV. Wow. But, but drives about 70 miles a day. I'd like to get your thoughts on a used electric car. I was wondering how much the cost is to replace batteries or if you recommend any brands besides Tesla. Okay, so Dan, there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, first things first, if the CRV 
continues to perform well, stall for a while because the vehicle market is going to get better price-wise as we move through this year, both new and used, as demand softens because of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and changing the money supply, and that's going to soak up some demand that would be there otherwise. And the supply chain issues gradually but haphazardly improve. So as many more months as you can get this year, it will be to your advantage. As far as buying an electric vehicle, you're right to address the batteries. Because if the battery pack goes bad, the cost of replacing it is huge. The good news is a lot of electric vehicles come with extremely long warranties on the batteries. Could be 10 years, uh, could be eight years. So if you buy a couple-year-old electric vehicle that has shorter range, like 70 miles a day, I'd say get one that has stated range of like 120 or more. Those are not as valuable in the marketplace is today's electric vehicles, which can go as much as 400 miles on a single charge. Very common, 250 to 400 um, on an electric vehicle, 250 to 350 on an electric vehicle. So if you get one that's, let's say, a couple years old, three years old, and has multiple years left, many years left on the battery warranty, then I think you're fine. But yes, Replacing the battery pack, depending on the model, could be like an $8,000 kind of thing. And that's really big money. Any brands to suggest looking at? So there are a number of Kias available that are uh, that have the range that have been out a few years, have the range you're talking about. Uh, you might find a Chevy Bolt that is available and then the the odd one that might not be a perfect fit for your wife would be the chevy volt v-o-l-t a discontinued vehicle that you run on electricity so many miles a day like 50 miles a day with the newer versions of the volt and then after that it runs on gasoline so your wife would not be a hundred percent electric but she'd have no range issues ever with a volt This is from Suzanne in Florida. There's a huge economic slash financial issue facing Americans that I have not heard you address. The Great Reset, a transformation of our economy from a shareholder economy to a stakeholder economy. Please talk about how this will affect people and what this will mean for the average person. Okay, so Suzanne, what an interesting question. And again, we are a politics-free zone here. So let me see if I can answer this as someone who is such a free enterpriser and capitalist. I'm not a fan of this whole concept, which is where large modern corporations talk about that they serve not just the stockholders, they serve the community, the stockholders, the blah, 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 the blah, 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 blah. And it tests really well. But the job of a company in my opinion, is to provide a product or service for the marketplace at a price that people want to pay and 
meet a need in the marketplace, that the companies that do the best are the ones that do that ethically and provide well for their employees and treat their employees well, that it's enlightened self-interest, that the best of the free enterprise system is when you have companies that everything they're about is meeting a need in the marketplace and realizing that to best meet that need, that they have to make sure they take care of their employees and the community they're in as part of it. But not these mamby-pamby kind of statements that talk about all their stakeholders, that ultimately there is what's known as creative destruction in capitalism. A company that at one time was like, the absolute champion of what they do and the marketplace shifted and they didn't shift with it. And that company ends up going extinct. And that's what capitalism does is that creative destruction keeps the system fresh. And I don't like the whole idea of these bureaucratic corporations with all their weirdo mission statements. So if that got too political for you, I apologize because we try to stay as a completely political free zone. And as far as how you stated it, the idea of corporations doing it, corporations take their eye off the ball, which is providing a product or service efficiently that the marketplace wants, lose their relevance in the marketplace. So I don't worry about it being an overall negative effect on the U.S. economy or world economy or anything like that. I look at it as only negative for the company that loses focus. And from David in New York, I have an Amex Gold Card and an Amex Sky Miles credit card. I don't need both. Should I consolidate them into one or the other and which one? So David, I hope you have other credit cards, several other credit cards, because when you give up that credit limit you have on one or the other of these two cards, that can lower your overall credit score. American Express SkyMiles card can have an annual fee as high as $550. Don't remember what a uh, general use Amex Gold card fee is, but we're not talking low annual fees with these cards. So the question would be in deciding which of these two, how much are you flying Delta? If you're flying Delta at least twice a month, and you're doing charge volume on the Amex card of many, many thousands of dollars a month, the SkyMiles card is worth having. If you don't charge huge volume, but you regularly check a bag, having an American Express SkyMiles card could work for you because you avoid the baggage fees on a bag. And that is the one additional case to be made for having a card, a credit card from one of the full fare airlines, American United or Delta, is to avoid the junk fees for checking a bag. I don't even really think about that because I don't check bags. But if that's a high priority for you, that would they would those two factors would make the Sky Miles American Express worth it. Otherwise, get rid of the Delta one and keep the Amex gold. But remember, you got to make sure that you are preserving your overall available credit so your charge 
ratio, the amount you charge versus your credit limit on all credit cards stays below 30%. If closing one of the two Amexes won't get you there, get a replacement Amex that has no annual fee or a replacement with another kind of card. I've heard with other banks, and I don't know if it's true with Amex, you can ask them when you do that to raise the other fee to make it equal when you close the one card. I mean, credit limit. Credit limit, sorry. the cre- Not the fee. Don't want to close the fee. Yeah, you don't want to raise they, the fee. You don't want to raise the fee. The, the annual credit limit. So but that that's a great suggestion, that. yeah. David, if Amex would raise your limit on the card you would keep, that would eliminate the headroom issue I'm talking about with utilization of available credit. And I want to thank you for being with us on today's podcast. Hope you have an absolutely wonderful day and know that we work so hard at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com to give you information you can trust at Clark.com and deals that we know were legit that'll actually save you money at ClarkDeals.com.